0: bay hills community church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series uncensored this series has us looking at the sermon on the mount and its implications for our lives today our guest today is jonathan maddox who asked the question what's anger got to do with it As we look at Jesus' words, Jonathan points out that anger makes us keep people at a distance. Listen as we find that the key to why we get in trouble with our anger is because it's a lot easier to get angry than it is to get really truthful and be honest about what's really going on inside of us. Hey, good morning.
1: Good morning, Bay Hills. How are you? This section is doing wonderful. I'm going to try that again. Good morning, Bay Hills. How are you? Fantastic. That's what I'm looking forward to hearing. Happy Father's Day to all you gentlemen. uh, All the fathers, please stand, please. We're just going to give you a round of applause. All right. It's actually one of the most thankless jobs that, that exists in this country. But I need you to know that fathering is a critical part of your child's healthy development. Um, As fathers, we um, support um, improved academic performance, uh, decreased drug use, decreased promiscuity, improved sibling relationships. And it also keeps our wives from killing our kids. So we got a we got an awesome job. So I just want to say Happy Father's Day to you again. Uh, We as a church celebrate masculinity and fatherhood. And so I just want you to know that you are loved and supported, and today is your day, even if you gotta go out and barbecue in that hot sun. <laughs> All right, well, these are my people. Um, that, that's my son, LJ. Um, he is 18 months old. Uh, my daughter, London, is four. She's very artistic and likes to color and swim and jump around. She's got a lot of energy, so we have to find some things for her to do. And there is my lovely wife, Diane. We've been married for, to be 21 years in July. All right. And I don't know how we made it, but we are still here. All right. By God's grace, she has hung in there with me. And so I am so excited. And all the wives say, Amen. All right. All right. All right. Uh, so there's a story about a Quaker who had an honorary cow. And he was tired of going round and round and round with this honorary cow. So he decided, Today was the day I am not going to get into it with this cow. And I'm not going to say a cross word. So he went out there to milk the cow, and when he first went out there, the cow, as he's sitting on the stool, the cow began to whip him in the face with his tail, which stung, and he bit his tongue and said, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to say that today. And so he he held his tongue, and then old Bessie, as he was milking the cow, continued to go on, stepped on his foot. I mean, just got him real good, and he was like, oh, I'm not going to get into it with this cow today. So he pulled his foot from underneath the cow's hoof and went on about milking the cow. A few minutes later, as he got the uh, the uh, metal bucket halfway filled with milk, Bessie looked back, saw it, and kicked it over. And uh old Quaker had to start over and over again. But the thing that really got his goat was after he had finished milking the cow, got his bucket full of milk, uh, as he stood up to walk out the door, Bessie kicked him 12 to 15 feet. He ran into He hit a wall and spilled his milk all over the place. And the Quaker ran around to the front of the uh, cow and said, That is it. I promised I would not get into it with you today. I'm a Quaker, so I cannot strike you, but I can sell you to a Presbyterian. <laughs> so I say that to say, as we're starting out our little talk today, we're going to talk about what's anger got to do with it. I'm going to read you guys some some statistics about road rage. The number of road rage incidents involving guns in America is on the rise. According to a new report released just this morning by an independent nonprofit news organizations that cover gun issues, there were at least 620 gun-involved road rage incidents in 2016. That's more than double from two years ago. Florida had the the most in the country. Over a two-year period, it had 146 incidents of gun road rage violence. Road rage is often nasty and violent, but when drivers bring guns into the mix, it can become deadly. One year ago, former NFL player Will Smith was gunned down in New Orleans during a road rage incident in which surveillance footage appears to show one car rear ending the other. As we get started today, we have to uh, I'm here to to share and to uh, expound on the reality that anger, uncontrolled anger is an epidemic in this country, whether it's about politics or about religion or just about people just haven't had enough. Anger management is an issue in this country that is impacting everyone's lives whether it's you driving down the street and getting cut off on the freeway and giving somebody that um that happy finger you're number one (laughs) or whether it's a spouse that is just driving you crazy no matter how much you ask them to do certain things it just doesn't seem to get done or maybe it's a child maybe it's a child that you have that you've expected certain things to come about in their lives and they haven't come about yet well the wonderful thing is that the bible and jesus in particular has something to say about anger He was uh, very acquainted with anger. He understands anger. But yet at the same time, he holds us to a higher standard as Christians. So if you could get out your Bible, we're going to go to Matthew 5. We're going to read verses 21, 22, 23, 24, and 24. Yes, I said that twice on purpose. Everybody have their Bible, their phone, their iPad. We good? All right. This is Jesus talking. You have heard it said. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to the judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka or fool or worthless one is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the hellfire. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer offer your gift. So my first question is, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Nobody in here hopefully has ever murdered anyone. Nobody in here hopefully has intended to murder anyone. But if you take a couple of steps backward and you go back to Matthew five and 17, you'll see something that's pretty critical. Jesus saying in this same section says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to actually fulfill them. Jesus, when he began this dialogue on anger, began to talk to his disciples about the reality that you have heard this, that and the other from others long ago. The reality was in the first century uh, Jewish nation, only the Pharisees could actually read the sacred scriptures. The sacred scriptures had not been translated to Greek. They were only in Hebrew. And only the Pharisees could read Hebrew. So they were the ones who would interpret what God said and what God expected of us, uh, expected of them in terms of their behavior. So the people's capacity for righteousness and right living was limited by the Pharisees willingness to be open and honest and transparent and to dissect uh, the scriptures properly. But they were not doing so. So Jesus said, because the Pharisees aren't doing what they're supposed to do in terms of teaching you with the gospel, I have come to actually fulfill them. I have not come to abolish them. What they're saying is correct. Thou shalt not murder. But God actually intended more than that when he's talking about murder. If you go down to verse 20, he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was reminding us that he was calling us to a higher standard. Jesus today isn't calling us just not to murder people or not to harm people physically. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to look at the motives and motivations that drive the attitudes, the self-talk, the choices, the potential things that your mind marinates. on. I'm calling to come see about those things. I'm coming to look inside your heart. So Jesus is telling us today that it's not just good enough that we don't hurt and harm people. God says, I want to go inside of you and I want to look at your motives. I want to look at your motives. Let's go to Matthew 23 for a second. Matthew 23 verses 25 through 28 says something very uh, interesting about his perspective on the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees thought they were righteous because they kept the external elements of the law. They thought they were righteous because they tithe down to the smallest men. They tithed everything that they had, that they gave the appearance of giving, that they would pray in public. And Jesus said, you know, it's not really about those things, but I have some I have some ideas about them. In verse twenty five of chapter twenty three, Jesus says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of your cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish and then clean the outside and it will be clean also. Verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything is unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people who are righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and unrighteousness. And so, so many times in my life, I've read the scripture and and I felt like God was talking to me and saying, you know, you're doing a really good job of giving the outward appearance of being okay, of doing all the right things in front of people. But when I look at the motivations of your heart, when I look at the things that your heart uh, meditates on, when I look at the way you respond to people in your mind, It's not pleasing to me. And so I believe that God is telling us today that God is saying, I know that you're not going to go out and kill anyone. I know that you don't want to go to San Quentin. I know that you don't want to chase somebody down the freeway in your car so that you can give them a piece of your mind. But what are you doing in your heart? What are you doing in your mind? What does your self-talk look like and how is it impacting your relationships? So that's what Jesus is calling us to today. He's calling us to a higher standard of righteousness. Next slide. So w- when we're talking about anger, the question is, what exactly are we talking about? I think everybody knows what anger is, but I think it's always interesting to look at uh, what the definition is. So the Greek word uh, for anger is orizo. It actually has two components. It actually has the component where uh, we may provoke or arouse anger in other people. How many, of you guys, how many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hand, have the gift of agitation? <laughs> you, you know, you just have the capacity to just rub people the wrong way. You have the gift of sarcasm. You know, somebody says something and you can give it right back with a razor's edge. (laughs) Y'all laughing because you know it's true. I used to be like that. I used to have a problem with sarcasm. When I first got saved, I I, I thought sarcasm was cool. I thought it was to be quick-witted and to be quick-tongued. I thought it was something to be had. But as I read the scripture and and matured uh, spiritually, I began to realize that, no, that's really a sign of immaturity. It's really a sign of disdain for other people. God didn't call us and doesn't have a spiritual gift of sarcasm. So it's the capacity to provoke anger or arouse anger in other people, but it's also uh, to be provoked to anger, to be provoked to wrath. How many of you guys drive up and down 580, 80, 880, 780, 680, 280, whatever? Have you ever had a moment on the freeway? You ever had somebody just kind of cut you off? Or, 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 my thing is, if you're in a fast lane, why are you driving the speed limit? Why are you driving the speed limit? Get that Prius into the slow lane. It's always the people with the Priuses. It's like, why are you over here? This thing didn't go. You got, a, you got a four banger in there. You need to be on that side. When we start going downhill, then you can get in the fast lane. But, 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 but I'm always having these moments. Or if you haven't had one of those conversations with your spouse and you know that they're just not getting it. They're, they're just not hearing you. They don't want to hear you. They're not trying to hear you. They're, they're, whatever's going on, they're just not interested. Although married people got real quiet. Yes, that's, that stuff happens. You say things to your kids and you tell them over and over again, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And As soon as you turn around, they're doing that. There is multiple opportunities in our lives to be provoked to anger. But the reality is, is that the Bible and God has called us to a position of being uh, anger management specialists. You know, looking inside of our hearts and looking inside of our minds is to figure out what's going on inside of me so that I can contain and maintain my cool in the midst of a difficult situation. Next slide. What's awesome about anger is, is that anger is really only one of several emotions that God has gifted us with. I mean, anger is one, but there's also uh, ecstatic. You can feel ecstatic and confident and surprised and hopeful and happy and confident, and see, there's anger. He's over there He's looking all crazy. Uh, <laughs> disgusted, lonely, sad, impatient, dissatisfied, You know, disrespected. There's a whole spectrum of feelings. But for most of us, we tend to live in the anger domain. And my question is always, well, why am I so upset about this? What is going on in my life? And as we go further on into this message today, we're going to talk about some reasons why that happens. So here's some realities that we need to know about anger. First of all, we just talked about it. Anger is a God given emotion. It's one of many. The Bible says that God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So our emotional world is a reflection of the emotional world that exists in God. God wants us to enjoy our emotional world. God wants us to experience our emotional world because it's really how we interact with ourselves and how we interact with our environment. You know, I love gardening and I love flowers and there's nothing more beautiful to me to go up and smell a rose that has a beautiful aroma. It just does something and, and makes me feel effervescent. That was a nice, wasn't it? That was nice. That was nice. And so our emotions are would allow us to interact with ourselves and interact with other people. When things go on in our environment that we don't like, we have a reaction and a response to that. Well, God gave us that. God gave us the capacity to feel. The second thing is anger is normal, healthy, and informative. Is there anybody in here who doesn't get angry? No, 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 no. Thank you. Okay, all right. First service, there was like 17 of them. I was like, what do you mean? If you're saying you don't get angry, you're not honest or you live in a room all by yourself. But it's normal. It's healthy and it's informative. It's like the red dashboard light in your car. When the red dashboard light in your car comes on, you know, hey, it's giving you information. You know, there's something wrong with your radiator or there's something wrong with your alternator or there's something wrong with your brakes. But something's going on that needs to be checked out. When when our red light dashboard comes on, we need to recognize that we need to look out and figure out what's going on. Thirdly, it's usually a secondary emotion. You know, it's, it's it's a lot easier to get angry th- th- than to say I'm disappointed when you're talking to your spouse or your kids. You know, it's a lot easier to get angry th- than to say, you know, this relationship just isn't very satisfying to me right now. It's it's a lot easier to get angry than to say, you know, I'm feeling very disrespected by the things that you're doing or what's going on in our relationship or what's going on at work with a coworker. It's, it's a lot easier to get angry than it is to be truthful and honest about what's really going on inside of us. And for many of us, that's the key of why we get in trouble. Because rather than being vulnerable and transparent and trying to have a humble conversation and try to work things out, it's easier to get angry because it keeps people at a distance. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Well, I don't want to deal with that. Well, no, 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 that's not really what's going on. I'm just going to get angry and I'm going to let you know I'm angry by either the things I'm doing or not doing or saying or not saying. But usually it's a secondary emotion and we're usually hiding something else that we probably need to get at. Number four Uh, It's destructive to all areas of our life if it's not managed. How many of you know any angry people? I know some. I mean, you bump them and it's like, you say something to them and they're they're like a minefield. It's like, I don't know how to deal with you. I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to interact with you because you're always upset. Anger will destroy marriages. It will destroy parent-child relationships. It will destroy your capacity to have a job. You know, you will get fired if you can't manage your anger. Uh, psychologists and researchers have said that the number one skill that most hiring managers are looking for is emotional intelligence. The capacity to manage your emotions, to empathize with other people, and to just play nice with other people. Isn't that what we learned in kindergarten? Play nice with other people. But anger, uncontrolled, will destroy our relationships. And then lastly, it is either expressed in active or passive ways. We'll talk about some of that a little bit later. So the question is, if anger's normal, if it's a secondary emotion, if it's destructive, if it's all these things, what in the world does the Bible have to say about anger? Does it have anything to say about anger? Does it tell me or teach me anything about how to manage it or what the Bible thinks about anger? Yes, Ephesians 4.26 tells us that we can be angry and not sin. How many believe that? Somebody in the first service said no. I was like, I appreciate you being honest. Because sometimes it feels like when you get upset, there is nothing else to do but blow your top. But the Bible says and teaches us that the Holy Spirit is in our lives and he can help us be angry. He can help us see that red dashboard light in our lives and not sin. We can actually effectively resolve conflict, resolve challenges, work through issues with other people without actually sinning. But the challenge is we have to create that habit in our lives. We have to stop blowing up and speeding up and giving people that finger that we show them that they're number one. We're on the freeway. I'm going to tell you something. My wife's not here, so I can tell you guys in this service. So, so we went to um, uh, Paramount, which is down near Long Beach, to go to my sister-in-law's retirement party. She was a teacher for 32 years. She retired. And so um, uh, I got the gift of driving her big old minivan. You know how cool that was. Driving the big minivan. So I'm driving the minivan, and we're driving down the street where the, the lanes begin to collapse. So I'm in the lane with a little arrow. So I speed up, and I pass this car. And this woman is behind me, gets behind me and starts honking and honking and honking. She goes around me in the other lane, almost hits another car, gets in front of me and mashes her brakes. And so the Holy Ghost was not working anymore. He was he was in the back seat in a box. So I'm driving down this street. I'm throwing sanitizer bottles out the window. I'm driving, throwing water bottles. I threw some lotion at her. I put up next to her car, and threw a box of Kleenex at her. And she was like, Wh- whatever. And, then, and then she drove off and I went off and I parked at the hotel. I was like, what were you doing? <laughs> Do you know if the police would have saw you, you would have gone to jail. You know how big you are? <laughs> so, so, so what I'm saying is that everybody, and I'm being transparent because this message is for me too, struggles with sin, but we can be angry and sin not. Proverbs 19.11 says, discretion defers anger. Discretion is the gift of knowing not just what to say. But when and how to say it, we can diffuse situations. We can be a a benefit to a situation if we just learn what to say and how to say it. I have a um, very quick brain and I generally say what comes into my mind. And I've learned in marriage that that does not work well with a woman. Half the time when she is venting or sharing, she doesn't want me to say anything, even if she's complaining about me. And because I don't do well, but, but you can't, I don't like being complained about. You know, I just want to hear how great I am, but I, I, don't, I don't want the other stuff. And so I'm learning over time to use discretion and to learn when to be quiet, when to not talk, when to just listen, when to just nod my head and say, OK, OK, that that, that sounds interesting. And that has served is serving me well. A couple of more. James 1:19 says be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. There's nothing like mishearing what somebody else has said to provoke us to anger or rage or wrath in a situation. I share with the first service that um, we have, as you saw earlier, we have two little kids and so we're still changing diapers. And so we were um, uh, out and about and um, my wife and I were talking and I heard her say, uh, I got the bag with the diapers and the food. It's in the trunk. Let's go. Uh, I was like, cool. So we get in the car, we're out and about, we know we're doing our thing. And then LJ has one of those diapers where you're like, okay. Let's go get this done. So I'm looking for the bag. I'm like, where's the bag? Where's the bag? Where's the bag? Where's the bag? There's no bag. I said, uh, sweetie, you said that you had the bag and we should go. And she said, no, I didn't. I said, grab the bag, put it in the car so we can go. <laughs> and then I'm like, that's not what you said. That's what I said. That's not what you said. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. And we just went back and forth and back and forth. And what I realized is that and I've learned to incorporate this in my relationship. I do a lot more mirroring. Honey, here's what I think I heard you said. Is that what you said? And it helps me be quick to hear, slow to speak, which ultimately retards my need to be angry. So the Bible has a lot to say about anger. It has a lot to say about how we can manage it. But I think beyond just looking at the scripture, I think it's important for us to look at people in the Bible. Because sometimes we can read the Bible and we can kind of whitewash and think, oh, well, they had it together and their lives were perfect and they didn't have any challenges. Well, the reality is, is, that's not the case. They were just as human. We are. The only thing is they didn't have iPhones. They couldn't text people. They couldn't Facebook. They didn't have LinkedIn and all that other fun stuff. But they were people just like we are. So we're going to look at a couple of people in the Bible and see how their lives and what they've been through could impact or inform how it is that we manage our own anger. So the first one is Moses. Many of you know the story of Moses. Moses was used by God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, The challenging thing is uh, Moses's early life wasn't as exciting as his latter life. Moses was born in a time where Pharaoh was actually put out an edict to kill all the first born boys in Egypt. So Moses's mom, in an attempt to preserve his life, put him in a basket of wreaths, set him on the Nile River, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised there. So we see that in Moses's life, the first thing that he experienced in life was broken attachments. He was adopted. He was taken from his family of origin. He was taken from his siblings and his aunties and his mom and his dad. And he was raised in a foreign home. And so now we know that Moses brings to the table these broken relationships. These broken relationships with his parents and his siblings and other people. And we know that when those things exist in people's lives, it impacts how we view the world, how we view ourselves and how we react and respond to people. So my question for you today is what in your past related to relationships may be fueling or impacting the way you manage your anger? know, I, I know people don't like to talk about divorce, but there are people in this room who have been divorced, who may have been treated badly in relationships. There are people in here right now who don't have great relationships with their own children. They'd like to have better relationships with them, but it's not working out. Some of us in this room have had poor relationships with our parents today is Father's Day and we celebrate fathers and you may be a great dad, but ultimately maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your dad. So that colors the way you see life, it colors the way you do life, it colors the way you manage your own anger. Moses's anger was fueled by broken relationships. They were Unresolved. They were unaddressed. They were untalked about. And because they because of that, it just festered over time and festered over time and festered over time. Till one day we see Moses in an attempt to do good, sees two Israelites fighting He's like, what are you guys fighting for? What's going on? And he saw any. No, he saw an Egyptian smiting an Israelite and he goes over and he kills him in an attempt to do good. And I always wondered how much of that was fueled by what had happened to him early on in life. That broken relationship, that rage and that anger that was festering, that was not addressed. But Moses didn't just have that one incident. Moses in leading the children of Israel. How many of you guys are managers, supervisors, oversee people? Nobody? One? Okay. The reason why I'm asking you is supervising people is not easy. It'd be nice to supervise people who wanted to do their jobs. I I'm, I'm think some of y'all are supervising people who don't want to work, don't want to show up on time, don't want to do what they're expected to do, want to come late and leave early. It's a challenge. Now, could you imagine supervising two million people walking through the desert for forty years in some hot sandals, eating manna every day? You're like there ain't no barbecue, there ain't no, there ain't no In-N-Out Burger. They we eating manna again, yes, again. And Moses. Uh, had the unfortunate um, experience of having people complaining to him and complaining to him and complaining to him all the time till there came a day where they actually didn't have any water. And the people of Israel uh, said, you need to go to God and figure out this water thing or we're going to have a hot mess out here. So Moses goes and talks to God and God says, Moses, go speak to the rock and I'll provide water for the children of Israel. Well, as he was coming back down the mountain, the people started giving them a piece of his mind about how much they liked being out there uh, in the desert. And Moses went over and struck the rock with a stick. And although God was gracious and merciful in providing water, God told Moses, because you did not honor me in front of the people, you're not going to enter the promised land. And so I have a two point issue with that. The first part is, is that managing people and being in relationship with people is stressful. It could provoke us to say and do things that we normally wouldn't say and do if we weren't in relationships with people. But the reality is, is that we can't get out of relationships with people because that's how God designed the world. That's how God designed the church. So we have to learn how to manage those stressful situations, learn how to manage stressful people, manage our own stress so that we don't find ourselves blowing up and giving people a piece of our mind when we technically shouldn't have to. And then lastly, ultimately, we see in the life of Moses, because he couldn't manage and maintain what it is that God had given him, he lost his capacity to enter into the kingdom. Moses was called to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. They were able to go in and Moses was not because he could not and did not manage his anger. Managing our anger or the lack thereof has consequences for all of us. So the next person we're going to talk about is King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. He was a humble man who was promoted to the king of Israel by God. God's people were comprying that they wanted to be like the world. They wanted to have what the world had. They wanted to have a king over them. So God said, fine, give them what they want. I'm going to promote Saul. And Saul, when he initially began his kingdom, uh, his kingship was doing well. He maintained his humility. He maintained his connection with people. He maintained his account- accountability group. But over time, what happened was Saul became filled with pride and felt like he didn't need to be in relationship or accountable to other people. So one day when David was coming back from a battle, Uh, After he had killed the Philistine, after he had killed the Philistine, uh, they were all out together. And the lady started singing about David. Uh, Saul has killed his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands and David, his ten thousands. Saul's pride was triggered. How could they say this about him when I'm the king? How could they exalt him over me when I'm the king? I'm in charge. I'm the one who should be getting all the accolades, who should be getting all the praise, who should be getting all the whatever. And the Bible says that from that day on, Saul was angry with David and he had committed to kill him. So my question is, where does pride live in our lives? You know, there's always going to be somebody who's smarter than us, uh, more blessed than us, has more material possessions than us, has a greater place in the kingdom. God is using them differently than he's using us. And the question is how, when we see those people, how do we react and respond to those people? Some of us manage that very well. You know, we're not really interested in that, but others of us struggle with that. Our pride gets in the middle of everything. We always have to be right. We always have to have it our way. We always have to win an argument. Anybody married to anybody like that? You always got to win the argument. Why do you have to have the last word? Why can't I have the last word once? Just once, just one time. Why are you always right? But the question, the challenge is, is that when, when we don't manage that properly, it will actually get us in trouble. It would destroy our relationships. It would destroy people's willingness and interest in being around us. And so we see that because Saul was full of pride, because he couldn't manage that, because he always had to be the best. He always had to be right. He always had to be the one that he ultimately lost his kingdom. The Bible says that the prophet came to King Saul and said that God has taken this kingdom that belonged to you and has given it to somebody better than you there are consequences in our lives when we don't manage and steward uh, the circumstances and the people that god has placed in our lives and then lastly we're looking at cain and abel these were the first brothers in the bible i have a brother Um, i don't see him that often Um, and i know what sibling rivalry can be like i remember one time when we were how old were we nine ten it was on his birthday and we had got into it about something And I I actually almost hurt my brother. I wasn't intending to, but, you know, the situation escalated. He said one thing, I said another. And we ended up in a situation where I technically, literally almost killed my brother. It was an accident. So I understand sibling rivalry, and so do many of you. But what we see in this story is that we see sibling rivalry gone awry. We see that we have two brothers who are offering up an offering to God. We see that Abel is offering up the first fruit of his livestock, the the first fruit of he's offered up the fat to God. And God was pleased at it. And he looked on Abel with favor and Cain just brought any old thing to God. He brought any old thing from the field. He brought a couple of grapes and some figs and some corn and whatever. And threw it at God's feet. And God says, you know, I'm not well pleased with that. And because Abel had the blessing of God on his life, Cain got upset and Cain got angry and Cain was disappointed and embarrassed and all those other things that we've talked about earlier. And he ended up killing his brother over something he could have easily have rectified had he just humbled himself. You know, one of the things I find interesting, I'm actually a therapist by uh, training. And so I I, I meet with a lot of Christian couples and secular couples and we talk through things. And and many times uh, it's funny when when couples counsel, when couples come in for counseling and one of the spouses is always like, I would be fine if they just would whatever. If she would cook more or if he was more affectionate and more romantic, if, if, if 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 he could just speak more softly, if he would fix some things around the house, I would do better. But the reality is, is God hasn't called us to that. We ultimately are accountable to God. God says we do these things for our spouses and our children and other people because we love him. We do it because we love him and we do it in spite of people a lot of times. But the reality is is in this story is that if um, Cain had been willing to adjust what he was giving to God, he would have had the favor of God in his life. And I think sometimes we have to realize is that we're ultimately in in control of what God provides for us. We're ultimately in control of what God does for us. If we sow like we're supposed to, if we if we tithe like we're supposed to, if we give ourselves away in service to God, God's blessing will be in our lives. There is no reason to be envious and jealous of other people, because ultimately we can receive the same things from God if we're willing to receive and do what God requires of us. And we see that because Cain was unable to do that, that he ultimately lost his family. We see that Moses lost his opportunity to enter into the kingdom. We see that Saul actually literally lost his kingdom. And then we see that Cain ultimately lost his family because he didn't want to do what was expected by God. And so my question is, which one of those boats are we in, if any? You know, I know where I sit. I know where I struggle. I know that just because God has called me to preach and teach and has gifted me to do things, I know that my life is not completely together. And if that's my experience, I know that's your experience, too. So there has to be some place in this message where God is speaking to you saying, you know, I want you to look at that. You know, I want you to look at that first marriage that you were in and how that's impacting the way you're treating your current spouse. You know, I want you to look at the way, I want you, to look at the way you were parented and how that's impacting the way you're parenting your own children. I want you to look at that. I want you to figure out some things. I want you to resolve some things. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to talk to us about what we can do to get those things resolved. The next slide asks us, did Jesus ever get angry? You bet he did. And I'm sure working with Peter, James and John, he got angry all the time. (laughs) They were some difficult people to be around, but, but Jesus had learned. The Bible says that we have not a great high priest who could not be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was touched at every point like we are yet Without sin, he experienced anger and he experienced frustration and he experienced disappointment. But first Peter, two tells us something uh, extraordinary about his response to those difficult situations that helped him maintain his peace. It's in first Peter two, twenty one twenty one to twenty three. And I'm going to read that quickly. This helpful. Okay, I'm just just checking because, you know, when when people get quiet, it's either because you're stepping on their toes or because you are killing them. All right, so we got 1 Peter 2, verse 21, and it says. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So that scripture tells us three critical things. It tells us one, first of all, that Jesus was a man like we are. He was touched with our infirmities. He understands, you know, in theology, they say he was the God man. He was so much God. It was as if he wasn't a man and he was so much a man. It was as if he wasn't God. He was the God man. But he experienced every human experience that you and I go through. He understands he's been frustrated and aggravated. He understands what goes on in our human lives. But with having had those experiences, he was able to navigate them without sinning. Now, is God calling us to a sinless life? Yes. But he knows that we're fragile and we're frail and we're human and we're going to blow it. And he's made accommodations for that. So he's not calling us to sinlessness. He's calling us to awareness, awareness to the way I react to things, awareness to what's going on in my heart. That causes me to repeatedly do the same things over and over and over again, which ultimately destroys relationships and impacts my capacity to be super useful to God. But lastly, and most importantly, the Bible says that he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. He prayed and he casted all his cares on God because God cared for him. And he waited and waited and waited and waited. And in many cases, it's still waiting until God brings about the righteous judgment that he's waiting for. I have a very hard time being patient. You know, I have a very hard time waiting for God to get folks because I be wanting God to get them like right now. Like get them today. They hurt my feelings. They shouldn't have said that I didn't get promoted. Get them today. But God doesn't work like that. Some things that are going on in our lives. God is ordained because he's ultimately trying to mature us. He's ultimately trying to grow us. He's ultimately trying to conform us into the image of his son. So some things God's not going to do anything about. But there are other things that God's going to fix tomorrow. Or next week or next month, and we have to demonstrate the capacity to be patient and to wait on God to bring about the righteous resolution to these issues that we find ourselves in. All right, Skip the next three slides. there we go. so here we are so so so, so here's some questions to consider when we look at anger, let me that. Does everybody have a good picture of what happens when they get angry? How they respond? How many of you are externalizers? When you get angry, everybody in your building knows it. You give people a piece of your mind. You bumping over desks. You throwing things. You slamming doors. You know you, you may have broken a PSP or two. Throwing a cell phone down. Some of us are like that. And then others of us are internalizers. We get angry and we go sit in the corner and see. And then we cook dinner and we serve it to you cold. And then when you when, you know, if you're married, you know, when you want to be sexually active, it's like, no, I'm tired. I don't Not today or tomorrow. And next week's not looking good either. (laughs) You know, we get back at people, you know, we just we we, we don't do it actively. But but you know that we're angry by the way we're relating or not relating to you. So here's some questions to consider as you look at how you react to and respond to anger. The question is, what am I really angry about? You know, why are you blowing up because the peanut butter jar top wasn't all screwed all the way down? Is that really what you're angry about or is it something else? You know, why are you always blowing your top when you don't get your way when your spouse doesn't give you what you think you should have? Is that really the issue Or is there something maybe from your childhood or your first relationship or from somewhere else where you're feeling inadequate that you haven't necessarily resolved? What am I actually angry about? The number two is the intensity that I feel reasonable. You know, there are some things that go on in our lives that cause us to blow our top that are legitimate and justified. You know, if you ever want to see me act up, do something to one of my kids or to my wife and it's going to be a problem. Same thing with many of you don't touch nobody's kids or it's going to be an issue. Those are justifiable responses to anger. But some things we need to realize, is this reasonable? How upset I'm getting and how bothered I am. And the fact that I haven't talked to whoever in three weeks, is that reasonable? Number three, is this anger impacting any critical areas of my life? My primary relationships with my family, my coworkers, um, my boss, my kids, my little league soccer. You know, have you been banned from all the little league soccer games just because you are doing too much? Can't even come watch your kids play soccer because you can't keep it together. How do I manage my behavior when I'm angry? Like, what do I do? Like, what does that practically look like? And is it godly? Is it God honoring? If God was walking with me, which he is, and he said something to me, would he be pleased about the way I react and respond to people when I get upset? We've already talked about that one. And then the last one is, do I really need some help with my anger? You know, do I need to get in a small group? And work through uh, what's bothering me from my past. Do I need to go see a counselor? Do I need to make an appointment with the pastor? What do I need to do to figure? Do I need to forgive somebody? Do I need to just chill and just, you know, not take myself so seriously? What do I need to do to resolve and manage this issue? But I have one more question. And I think it's the germane question for today. Am I a forgiver? People who live in the vein of forgiveness rarely have to blow their top because they don't take themselves or most other people too seriously. When they're offended, when they're treated badly, when they don't get what they expect, they're able to kind of let it roll off their back uh, like water off the back of a duck. But for many of us, forgiveness is an issue. And when I think about forgiveness, I begin to think about Joseph from the book of Genesis. Many of us, all of you, I'm sure, know the story of Joseph. Joseph was a young man who was uh, heaped uh, his daddy, heaped uh, his favor on him and gave him this pretty nice coat from Macy's. He, he all his brothers were wearing these things from Ross and, and and Joseph had this nice coat from Macy's, a coat of many colors because he was his father's favorite. And his brothers began to hate him and they threw him in a pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites and the Ishmaelites sold him into Egypt and he worked in Egypt and he worked his way up until he was the number two man in Egypt. The trifling part about this whole story is that they went back to their dad and said, you know, this son of yours, is this his coat? Yeah, well, he got ate up by some animals and peace out and see you later. And they left him to languish all those years thinking his son was dead. But there came a day there was a famine in the land and Joseph and his brothers had to humble themselves and come to Egypt in order to get food and grain so that they could survive. And when Joseph saw his brothers through a series of events, eventually told them, you know what you did, you meant it for evil. You meant that for evil. But ultimately, God meant it for my good to save many lives, which he has done today. And for many of us and for many of you, there are people that have been in your lives who have meant evil in your lives. They meant to harm you. They meant to destroy you. They meant to break you. They meant to take your your material possessions from you. But the fact that you're here today lets me know that God had another plan in the midst of it. And so sometimes even though we've moved on and God has blessed us, we have to be willing to look back and say, you know, I know God has blessed me, but I need to forgive and let go of that situation. I need to forgive and let go of that person. I need to forgive and let go of the way I was parented, the way my first spouse treated me, the the way my kids aren't doing what I expect them to do. Whatever your thing is, we have to let that stuff go so that we can begin to not only manage our anger, but have the life that God calls us to have. Jesus died for us to have peace and joy and patience and all the fruit of the spirit. But for many of us, it's impacted by our inability to get beyond something that's happened in our lives. Can you go to the last slide? The reality is, is that we have to do that because God did that for us. You know, God had a bone to pick with all of us. You know, there was a time in all of our lives where we lived in sin and we loved it. We lived in sin and we enjoyed it. We was having a good old time. And if God had not been gracious and merciful to us, we wouldn't be here today. We'd be in hell. But God, seeing us and our potential and his great love for us called us out of darkness into his marvelous light through the process of propitiation. And propitiation is merely a theological term that says God's wrath has been appeased. With Jesus, death on the cross. With his death on the cross, God's wrath was appeased and it restored the relationship that we have with him. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of his peace was apo- of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed because he was brutalized. We have access to God and all of the blessings that he provides for us. So I'm here to ask you today, have you ever come to the cross? Have you ever brought your past to the cross so that God could deal with it so that you could be disentangled from those things that are impacting your life so that you could go on and live free? Would you stand to your feet and we'll pray? You know, I'm always aware when God preaches messages like that, that there is something or someone in the room that God wants to resolve. You know, God didn't just serve us, save us so we could be ushers and preachers and youth pastors and deacons. God saved us because he wanted to restore our lives. And a big part of him restoring our lives is us being honest about what we've been through so God can heal us. So if there's anything in your life that you're that, you know, has risen to the surface today, I'd like for you to meditate on that for a minute while I pray. And we ask God to to cleanse it and to heal it and to give you a path going forward so that you can be different from this day forward. God, we thank you. And we praise you. We thank you that on this Father's Day, Lord, it's not just my Father's Day and these gentlemen's Father's Day, Father. But we tell you, happy Father's Day. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for having pity on us. Thank you for being merciful to us when we didn't deserve it. I pray for myself and these your people today, God, that you would meet them. That as they process the information and the reactions that they're having to life, God, that you would strengthen them and that you would heal them and that you would help them to move forward in their lives. Those broken relationships and those broken places, God, you've come to heal those. You've come to give us beauty for ashes. And we pray, God, that you would manifest that beauty in our lives as we obey you and walk with you, even in those painful and dark places. God, we love you today, and thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for delivering us, God. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.